This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 415, Pushing Our Buttons. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Michael Rowe here on Friday, getting ready to talk tech and have fun with my friend and co-host, Michael Martin. How the heck are you, Michael? Oh, fantastic and delighted to join you and our listening audience on another roundabout of all kinds of news articles and stories about metaverse and about games and about movies and all kinds of good fun stuff. So... Let's get to it, oh, shall we? Yeah, we're, we're missing Andy, but he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, so that's all we need to say. That's all we need to say about that. So, Andy, we miss you. Um, first up on our list for this week is an MIT technology review article. Always love the material that we find from them. Uh, this one is entitled Undercover in the Metaverse. And it's a story. We've been talking about new kinds of jobs that are coming forward because of all the things happening in AI and in VR and AR and so on and so forth. And this article is about a new job around content moderators in the metaverse. And, um, you know, we've seen content moderators in all kinds of other social environments, um, but this one talks about what's special about the metaverse. What was your take yeah, on and, it? Well, I read this and immediately went back to the to the patent that we uh, uh, put forward, I want to say 2009, around crowd control in 3D virtual spaces, um, which... It was approved. I don't think anything ever happened with it. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember either that it did. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I think, uh, you know, the powers that be decided to focus elsewhere after that one. But, um, yeah, it's 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 exactly what you would expect it to be, is the great thing about the metaverse, or the bad thing about the metaverse, whichever way you want to look at it, is just like most gaming engines, all content is going through a system somewhere. Whether it's voice, whether it's, you know, graphics, whether it's position of characters or avatars, whether it's, you know, all kinds of telemetry data. And so I'm actually surprised that this is a job uh, from the standpoint of with all that data, it is much more instrumented to where this immediately lends itself to automated moderation instead of, you know, I'm the content police and I'm going to sit there and monitor and make sure that this avatar doesn't get close to that avatar or doesn't say these words or, you know, these trigger mechanisms or whatever. And so by by positioning this as a new job, it immediately goes back to the story that we had last week on 90% of my skills will pay zero amount of dollars in the future. This is a job being set up to go away. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it is a temporal kind of thing as people are getting used to environments, and and that was what was striking me too is that from an artificial intelligence perspective, and because there is so much instrumentation that is available and allowed, uh, you could track everything. You might yep. want to pass it through with a human filter, and someone could res in and go, no, 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 
We do not do that here. What was that Jurassic Park? That was, uh, what was the guy's name on Jurassic Park? Uh-uh-uh. You didn't say the secret word. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, I, you know, there, there have been other examples of this, too, um, in terms of uh, Disney World. So, I mean, we talked about this one a long, long time ago, like uh, in the in the Penguin environment and others. You, oh, you God. Were, you were penguin. limited. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've even heard of that one. Yeah, I know. But you were, you're, they're, they were set up for for age groups where you right. wanted to provide a safe space for people to interact and uh, the level of interaction could be limited to you're awesome and thanks and you know things like that for right. uh, canned a, answers you know a, right a canned answer degree of of, of communication um, but um, I don't know it, it feels to me like there there's a filter system which is an AI component version of a net nanny for uh, metaverse VR type of environment. So interesting, interesting story. And it was an interesting way for us to kind of get into the flow of the show for this week. Well, uh, just, just real quick, Net Nanny. Uh, I remember a, uh, a manager of mine who had me fix his computer because his Net Nanny wasn't working correctly, that he had installed on his own work computer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One day when we're like not on microphone and sitting over a beer, I'll tell you the real story. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's um, that's something else. Um, so uh, let's move along, shall we? Let's move uh, along. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up is a Tech Radar article talking about uh, VR and its popularity, and uh, the the title. I mean, we we get sucked in by clickbait here too. Uh, VR is more popular than you think, but no thanks to Meta's virtual wasteland is the <laughs> the article title here. Um, uh, no emphasis really intended, but um, first things first. This this article starts off in my mind to be one of the very prototypical. Hey, VR is kind of a new thing, and it's out there, and it's going to change the way we work and do and explain and blah blah blah. And so there's there's a lot of that sort of elements to the article, but the the aspect here that kind of got me was the notion of okay, metaverse in most instant uh, instances is really a VR kind of experience. It was, I, I think, one of the the main points. And when I hear metaverse, typically. Um, I do think much more expansively about it, but that that was something here um, linking the metaverse and VR much more closely to the Facebook or the meta version of it all. Uh, well, yeah, and it, but re remember the the term metaverse when it was truly originally coined had to do with a fully immersive virtual environment, right? Um, and and so I, I can see the the author using that as an entry point for people to understand, and then falling down the trap, as you say, and equating it equals equals yeah. to Meta's uh, hellscape. <laughs> um, but uh, what I found more interesting was the the statistics in the article. Right, you know, fifteen percent of people have some sort of VR headset. I think that's way too high. It feels high, and and that twenty nine percent of U.S. teens have a VR device. Yeah, really. That, uh, they again, have, they have jobs that pay that them seems enough to get really to, high for that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, I can, I can. Well, then again, you know, are they including Google Cardboard? 
I mean, when was the last time you think a teen pulled out their Google Cardboard, plopped their phone in it, and did something with it, right? Yeah, but 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 if probably, you include probably Google when they were doing cardboard, jacks, then you know? maybe you're at fifteen percent. Yeah, yeah, right. But, but uh, again, are, are they playing tiddlywinks? You know, perhaps you know <laughs> after they play with Google cardboard Saber. at this time. Beat right? Saber, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so I I did think the the statistics were interesting. Um, it it will be much more interesting if sorry, got to go there. If Apple introduces theirs this year, <laughs> uh, does that start the, the the next bow wave of larger consumer adoption, right? Uh, or will G- Apple do the same thing that Microsoft and Google did, which was come out with some kind of headset and then pivot to enterprise where you can keep the price up high and uh, the the technical and um, social barriers are swept aside uh, in interest of business efficiency and optimization? Well, we, we shall see, won't we? Hopefully uh, in about four weeks. Not that, we're Not that I'm counting. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so on the Beat Saber front, just a, a, a personal note on that. Yesterday was, of course, um, May the 4th, Star Wars Day. And, it was. And so in my dojo, uh, last night we had the opportunity to work with some lightsabers. And, uh, boy, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> Considering that I have uh, uh, two swords that I work with an awful lot, I got to do some little Ahsoka kind of, you know, practicing with those two. So against some lightsabers and stuff. So, as well. so did you use the lightsaber and stick it into the wall and have it melt a giant hole? Uh, d- these these were um, lightsabers that did come from uh, Disney experiences by some of the people um, there. Uh, unfortunately, um, they don't have all the functionality of oh, the lightsabers that darn. you see in the movies. So okay, okay, I was just I was just checking. Uh, but but we did have to <laughs> think on them a little bit because most of the swords and katanas and so on that that we use are are bladed on one side, and as we all know, a lightsaber can strike you on any of the infinite Any sides side. of a lightsaber yes. uh, all have the same you know, devastating effect. Yes. Well, well, well. if you were doing this, did, did, did you have your VR headset on and did you take pictures? Uh, so no and no, um, but <laughs> but um, there were some pictures taken of uh, Aketsu, who is this, this super cute puppy uh, walking around with a very short, short lightsaber that was on uh, in his mouth. You know, and that was that was pretty fun. <laughs> Awesome little uh, ninja dog there. So, um, however, if we had done all that in Horizon Worlds, um, Mm -hmm. the next article from The Verge has this lovely little 20, 30 second video or so that you can watch about how you can post your experiences from Horizon Worlds into uh, Instagram stories. And the thing that made me chuckle about this was there is a virtual representation in the virtual world of you virtually holding a phone to take a virtual selfie of yourself to virtually put it onto your Instagram story so you can show your friends how you're virtually having a grand time. Well, it's almost turtles all the way down, except for one step. It actually posts them onto Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was, uh, this is uh, the um, skeuomorphic example of VR. <laughs> all you needed was, was the felt on the table, right? Yep. 
yeah. So and and you don't have legs in real life. Uh, oh, wait a minute, you have legs in real life, but not in the virtual world. Unless they're cut off with a lightsaber, you do. They could have been added in in the Instagram. That maybe so. So fun fun <laughs> stuff for those of you who are you know needing to make sure your gram is showing all the fun you're having in virtual worlds. This is now for you. I I, I remember the. I mean. Our original podcast, Dog Ear Nation, we used to have a picture of us recording in our virtual studio. Yes. Which uh, uh, Matt built for us. That's which right. was actually really cool. It had the little you know on-air symbol and everything. Yeah. Um, I still have a, a picture of that somewhere. Well, if you can find it, we'll throw it in the show notes for the week. But... Um challenge accepted okay yeah there, there we go uh, yeah luckily we're not going to try to like uh you know pick up pick some audio up from <laughs> dog your nation and put that in i the have show all here. those episodes in raw audio format <laughs> <laughs> but um that, that, that's that's fun and I, I do remember that it was cool because we actually did virtually go to our virtual mm-hmm. studio in order to record in real life the podcast and yeah. uh, I, I, at least occasionally, I think we had visitors stop by the yeah. studio while we were recording, while which recording, was kind of cool, yeah. which was really mm-hmm. cool. Nobody well, took any Instagram well, pictures, though. N- no, but you could put you could put the uh, once I find it and I know I have it, you could throw it up on IG. Yeah. Well, shoot, I got Instagram didn't even exist at the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> this that, was that's B, the reason why B we didn't for Instagram B I G. This is big, notoriously. Um, so <laughs> let's move along, shall we, to um, a couple of automotive articles. We haven't talked about cars and dogs and trucks and stuff as much as we maybe should have uh, recently, but there were a couple of articles caught my eye. And the first one, I know you saw it too, uh, dealt with the notion of buttons coming back into cars. And, and for me, and for many, the tactile feeling of a button, knowing where it is in the car, knowing what it feels like, allows you to manipulate certain functions of the car while you're paying most of your attention, if not all your attention, to what's in front of you and driving, which I think is rather important. Uh, it's kind of why you're in a car. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> Uh, it's I like it's not a restaurant. Uh, it's not a restaurant, and uh, there's there's one um, advertisement which uh, won't give full credit to it because they're not a sponsor yet of the show. But uh, uh, when you're fiddling with your phone or buttons on the car, you're not paying attention to what you're doing driving. Uh, average time for fiddling with your phone is like five seconds, and that's the effective length of driving a football field with your eyes closed or or a football pitch, depending on where you are in the world. So buttons are actually a good thing and for me i don't know about for you michael but i've noticed variation amongst different automotive manufacturers over the years in quality of buttons as well and that sometimes sometimes the quality of the buttons actually um in terms of the how they feel the the tactile response the, the haptics almost if you will um for some manufacturers feels flimsy and cheap and for other manufacturers it feels solid and precise and there are major differences in small things like that that don't cost a lot of money but have a big impact yeah it's 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 interesting you bring that up because um you know when i worked with the automotive industry there the safety considerations and system Mm -hmm. redundancies um at the time uh Digital wasn't anywhere near where it is now. 
Right. And you had to have physical button backups. And I'm glad to see that it continues to be there or it is being brought back more by those who aggressively went away from physical buttons. Yes. For all these reasons, it's a safety thing, right? Um, if if you have to take one, your eyes off the road to look down at a giant 17-inch computer screen uh, at the center console of your car, that's a safety problem by itself. Right there. And then to use the mental capacity to, to distinguish between the different UI elements to figure out which one is a control and which one is the control that you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's there's lots of things there that are just problematic anyway. Uh, but the the system may be fly-by-wire, right? But the, the buttons themselves allow you to use minimal amount of cognitive processing to do those things you need to do, like use your damn turn signal. <laughs> Ooh. I'm sensing a small pet peeve from someone. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean pet peeve? It's the law. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there's that too. Uh, and, and, and you know, people kind of want to know what you plan on doing uh, so that they can also plan on doing things uh, in a road or on a road in, in an environment. Um, but, yeah, I I saw this story and it was like the humble return. No, no, the this needs to be there until we truly have fully self-driving cars, right? You have to use cognitive load to control any feature in the car. Yeah. So reduce that load by making it a physical thing that you can touch and not just a haptic. And then uh, interesting side story to this. Uh, I was listening to uh, this one tech podcast, and a couple of weeks ago they did a review of e-readers, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the uh, hosts uh, decided they wanted buttons, uh, physical buttons on the e-reader, and they had gotten one of the latest Kindles that still had physical buttons. And I don't know if you remember, the very first Kindle had really nice physical buttons. Yeah. Um, and they got rid of them, etc. And then they brought them back, and the, the new ones are kind of mushy. Ooh, um, I hate that. And there's another e-reader the one that i'm looking at right now called the kobo uh that has physical buttons and the discussion that you just had on the quality of buttons Mm -hmm. and and the tactileness of uh, and the you know just these feel right right and the kindle basically put them on because the users demanded they brought them back yep and said fine here's your stupid buttons and they feel like that yeah they're chintzy <laughs> and, and yeah yeah and and the kobo is like we have a design uh feeling that we want to get out there uh that will have buttons that feel like buttons and behave like buttons so they're buttons they're not here's some here are some buttons, you whiners. <laughs> so I, I no, enjoyed I'm, that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. I, uh, there's a there's a white paper that I worked on in 2012 that kind of turned up again for me this week, um, and I wrote about it and shared it uh, internally at work on one of our Slack channels. And one of the examples of great design that I called out back in 2012 in that particular article or the white paper was the Hewlett Packard 19B2 calculator and their buttons. Because that calculator, I still use it, and it still mm-hmm. feels good. You know, it feels right. You know when you pressed the button, and you know when you hadn't. So, buttons. Uh, 
<laughs> we could just keep going on and on about buttons. Buttons, buttons everywhere. Um, so uh, staying staying with uh, the automotive space for just a bit longer, um, you and I had a sidebar earlier this, this week on the notion of license plates and very mm-hmm. specifically about license plates and we talked on the show here about electronic license plates so you could uh you could show um some detailed information from the plate on the car and so on this article from slate talks about how many people in the u.s are using the paper version a temporary tag would be the the appropriate phrase um to put that on their car and that's normally what you get when you buy a new car or a used car, you've not been issued a license plate by the state yet. So it's a 30 day tag and you can go and drive around on it. And apparently um, there are many um, enough to write an article about it for people who do this sort of thing or get a tag like this and then leave it on their car fairly permanently uh, in mm-hmm. order to pass by tolls and not get charged for tolls or to potentially drive in a way that maybe suits them but is not following the rules of the road as they should turn signals and other elements notwithstanding and um, and cause various and sundry mayhem um and i hadn't thought about this before but to me it's like hmm this is an interesting problem that has a really easy and interesting solution to all of it which um, uh, could be easily implemented here in the U.S. and other countries that have this kind of a kind of a challenge. I would say. Um. Yeah, I uh, re- reading through the article in, in in detail, and they were showing all the different ways that people try to uh, manipulate their tag in order to get around things. And and there was a guy, and I can't remember if it was in this or if it was a. a, a, a a toot that I saw on Mastodon. It was where this one guy was getting arrested for going around and fixing people's license plates. Oh yeah, this is actually where, it. Yeah, yeah, where where people had scraped off part of the license plate uh, so that the letters or numbers wouldn't show up correctly, and so he would go around and, and fix take a it. marker and f- fix it. <laughs> and I was like, good for you, good for you. <laughs> It was, but however, um, uh, his his arrest for this or uh, was called criminal mischief, yes, um, because he was apparently uh, refacing. Is that the opposite of defacing? I don't know. Uh, I guess <laughs> you know, sort of, sort of this yeah, fixing. putting it back. <laughs> you know, or or there were there were examples where people had like permanently taped a leaf over some of the numbers on the license plate. It's like, oh, I don't. How did that leaf get there? Oh, I don't. I don't know. Right. I mean, so there's <laughs> variety of those sort of things. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, <sighs> yeah. Not that we're encouraging anyone to follow suit here. It's this is just a, an interesting element, and there there could be ways to solve problems like this. Whether we're talking of moving vehicles or parking or what have you, uh, there are ways to solve for this. Yeah. Um, all right, so talking about ways to solve for things, uh, Andy had shared a game with us um, called Hell of a Racket. Um, yes. Uh, which, as longtime listeners of the, of the show will know, uh, we do love talking about Doom uh, and yes. playing Doom on various and sundry devices. Uh, this one is uh, a Doom-like experience, except you have a tennis racket 
and um, I guess you don't have to yell for as you're going around doing what you do. So, Michael, you you said you loaded this up on your Windows box and yep. gave it all of 15 minutes, and you had a exposure and a perspective on yeah. The game. So 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 this was uh, it's a free to play game um, uh, on Steam. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't run Steam on Mac; it only runs Steam on Windows. Uh, so I had tried it on the Mac first and it wouldn't load. Imagine that. Um, so I was like, oh, doom with tennis rackets. This, this is, should be right up our alley, right? You know, yep. it'd be kind of neat. Um, this is a great example of a lazy headline um, <laughs> because uh, doom on, with a racket. So it, it looks like it might have used the basic technology of the original doom engine. Mm-hmm. Um, except it would have to be at least Doom 2 because you do have up and down. It's not just left, right, forward, and back. Uh, and it was horrible. (laughs) Basically, you're in an arena-type environment, and um, you have a tennis racket, and there are some number of bad guys uh, stationed and moving around the arena who are throwing things at you. They could be tennis balls. They could be soccer balls. They could be Frisbees. Um, And you can take the racket, and if you time it just right, you can smack the ball back at them and knock them out. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a little Uh, And then you can go over and pick up the ball, Yeah. which you then can throw at others. Can you hit it with the racket if you pick it up? Well, uh, because it was my my dexterity, I guess, late at night was not very good. I just ran over and smacked them with the racket a bunch, uh, <laughs> which uh, eventually would kill them and they would drop the ball and then you could use it at the next guy. Um, yeah, it was, eh, it, it, it's a cute idea. Um, but I, I could easily see this running in the touch bar of a Mac in about five minutes, right? <laughs> and have the same level of enjoyment that I had. <laughs> That's way too funny. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it's cute. But all right. Uh, not, not my jam. Not my jam. So, so to wrap up this week's show, we've got three quick hitters that I know, Michael, you have some things to talk about. Um, some, some common and uh, not common, but some, uh, some movies and TV kinds of experiences, starting with Dune, a little more on Dungeons and Dragons, the movie coming up there, and and then Babylon Five. So, uh, I can see you getting ready to share. Uh, put your hand in the box and let's talk about these. Yes, remember, fear is the mind killer. Um, if uh, <clears throat> if you have not watched the first half of Dune uh, that came out last year, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, much, much more in-depth than the, uh, the, the one from 1983. Uh, better than the Sci-Fi Channel version that came out probably about 10 years ago. Uh, really impressive. The The great thing is they dropped their teaser tro- uh, teaser trailer mm. for part two. And one of the big events, if you've read the books or if you've seen the movies, is when Paul Atreides finally rides the worm. 
so the big sandworm and that is what this trailer is so from a special effects perspective it is awesome from uh, moving the story forward and getting you excited it's awesome uh it's i'm really looking forward to it. it i think they say the movie is planning on dropping uh in november so it's got a ways to go still uh and uh definitely on my list to go see uh one way or the other because uh yeah can't wait for that um and and speaking of things that uh we should have all already seen by now and i haven't um the dungeons and dragons movie that came out uh, a while back is uh going to be available um for streaming uh soon and uh the, there's an article that came out on Slash Film about that coming out on May 30th. Uh, I'm probably looking forward to seeing this on uh, one of the streaming services I already pay for. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's um, uh, There's a chance, I guess, it might be on Paramount+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I do have for, you know, Star Trek. So, uh, and uh, everything I heard about the movie says I will enjoy it. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to that. And finally, uh, for for Andy and myself, uh, uh, we're both big Babylon Five fans, and there's been talk of a Babylon Five reboot uh, for years now. And uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski uh, has officially come out earlier this week, and the Babylon Five animated movie is coming out hmm. uh so it's in the can it's done um so that i i don't know if he announced the day it will come out uh but they're going to show more about it i guess at uh comic-con uh back in july so really excited to see this uh there the story behind babylon 5 was written originally for a five-year series with these long it was the first tv show that really focused on long story arcs. Uh, And there's a history of the fans keeping the show alive through season five. Uh, So the way this story was structured, it could have ended at the season four. So the way he wrote it, which is I find fascinating, he structured it with uh, what he called escape hatches for characters because you knew some actors might leave and you want to replace them. So Mm. the story was structured in a way that you could swap out a character, and it wasn't really just swapping a character. The story arc, which is a five-year arc, had places where this character could disappear and I could bring in this type of character to replace them, etc. So nobody was indispensable. Sounds like work. Uh, (laughs) Modular Um, show construction right there is what it sounds like. Uh, Object-oriented show production. But the story was designed for this five-year arc, and it takes a while to get ramped up. But once it does, it has you, and it hooks you. And season five's always been kind of a a letdown because it wasn't going to happen at the last minute. And so he wrapped up a bunch of really cool stuff in season four that should have extended out but highly recommended if you haven't watched the original series go go watch it it's available on streaming uh and uh can't wait to see what this animated film is going to be about cool well the only babylon that i tend to do is on this podcast so on this show <laughs> uh, but uh but I'm, i may actually go back and watch a couple of episodes of the guild with felicia day and company too because that might get me in the mood for the dungeons and dragons 
uh, movie oh, yes. when it's available for streaming, uh, as it has you know some of those characteristics, maybe even characters too. So <laughs> could be good fun. Well, uh, you've gotten now to the end of another half hour of your time uh, spent, hopefully, well with Michael. And Michael, um, you know, we'll be getting Andy back here again with us shortly. Um, amazingly, we managed to get this episode free of artificial intelligence. All the comments and shows and everything were brought to you by real humans. Um, but we'll be sure to fix that before too long. And uh, if you have some suggestions, some things you'd like to hear us see, uh, hear us talk about or, or see on the show, uh, please do drop us a line. You can find us on all kinds of social networks, Mastodon, here, there, everywhere. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and include what you're finding interesting in the world of technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, gaming, uh, VR, AR, EI, EIO, and what buttons ER. are pushing you Uh <laughs> Let us know, and we'll be happy to include it on the next edition of GamesAtWork.biz. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network, and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz.